We're going to be starting a new series, like Marty said, um, called Family First. And about 30 years ago, I read a book on parenting say, that, that was entitled, Parenting Isn't for Cowards. And any person who has been a parent, you know that to be true. Parenting is tough. It is not for wimps. Parenting is definitely not for cowards. Parenting may be the most da- demanding and most challenging uh, of, of, of tasks, okay? Because you are raising another human being who is very incredibly complex. It is not an accident that this parenting process starts with the word called labor. Ask any mom, okay? And, it, and that may be the easier part. I don't know, I've never been there, right? But it may be the easier part of parenting because honestly, as time passes, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And about the time that you've kind of figured this thing out called parenting, well, guess what? They leave the nest, okay? Today, we're gonna take a look at this series called Family First on how you and I can intentionally parent our kids. And I want to start off by taking a look at how to bring the best out of our kids. We're going to take a look at five principles, but today we're only going to focus in on two of them. I'm going to be laying the groundwork. You do not want to miss next week, because if all you come away with is the first two, you're going to be imbalanced, okay? Today we're going to take a look at two out of the five. And the reason that I am doing this series is twofold. One is that families truly are in serious trouble today. When I talk to parents, folks, they're stressed out. They have no margin in their life. They go from one event to the next event to the next event. There are pressures on families today that, that are new, that we didn't experience, I don't know, 10 or 15 years from now. And so what families need is support. In this series, we've written some practical things. This comes from Josh Longmire, okay? And you can pick these up out at the the guest center. We are here to support our families at LifePoint. The other reason, and this involves those of you who aren't parents, and maybe you'll never be a father or mother. Guess what? That's okay. But here's the deal. You need a kid in your life. As your pastor, as your spiritual coach, you need a kid in your life. Study after study after study has shown that if you don't have a kid in your life, you will grow older faster. They keep you younger. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, when they were here, had their first child at 40, and they lasted into their 90s, okay? It kept them young. If you don't have a kid in your life, you will have hardening of the attitude, You will get old and crotchety, okay? (laughs) Kids actually help us to grow. We help them grow, and then they help us grow. They teach us how to live a a less selfish life. And so whether you are married or not, you need a kid in your life. If all you have in your life is your generation, you're gonna be really boring. So what I am saying is that They can teach us things, and we can teach them things. 
Now to bring this point home, I have this illustration. These are containers of marbles. Solomon, or not Solomon, Moses in Psalms 90 said, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. When your child is born, and by the time they graduate, you will have 936 weeks with your kids. That's this right here. By the time they get nine years old, about fourth grade, half of your time with them is gone. You will have 468 weeks left. Wow. And a lot of times when it comes to this subject matter of impacting kids, whether you have kids or whether you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent or you don't have any kids but you've got some nieces and nephews, folks, time goes by like this. Between 9 and the time they get a car at the age of 16, it's 364 weeks. And we all know if you've had kids, once they get that car, you hardly ever see them again. I've been there. And so all this time that we think that we have with our kids to impact their lives, to, to, to discover who they are, and to shape them into a generation that will reach their kids goes by like that. And Solomon says, or Moses says this, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might present before you a heart of wisdom. And so I want, to take, I want, I want you to take some good notes because I am giving you almost everything I've got. By the way, this is only one service that's open-ended. I might give it all to you, okay? <laughs> well, the Bible teaches that there are five principles for bringing out the best in your kids. And I'm going to give you two of them today. And the first one is this. Will you write this down? Accept their uniqueness completely. Everybody around you needs somebody to accept their uniqueness completely. This is the starting point. It is recognizing their value, their individuality. Every child is different, and God has intentionally made that so. He could have made everybody the same, where everyone well, all like the same and, and talk the same and look the same. But guess what? That would have made our world a very boring world. In fact, the reason that I dated and married Cheryl was that she was a different. She was, she was different. I didn't know how different until we got married, but she was really different. Differences attract, right? And then, then they attack one another, okay? But that was the reason that I married her. Now, I am sure you have noticed that God loves diversity. Folks, he overdoses on it. No two people are alike. And yet we humans like to make everybody alike. Humans like to clone things. God does not. He never duplicates anything, even twins, which I saw a set of twins this morning. Even twins are different in thousands of ways. Their voice print, their fingerprints, their, their footprints, their personalities. It's just the way that God designed things. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Did you know that before you were born, God laid out in advance what he wanted you to do? Now, the implication is that we can miss that. So we need to be wise. God, teach me to number my days that I might present before you a heart of wisdom for the purpose that you created me. But God created you for a purpose. He custom designed you to fulfill that purpose. Will you circle the word workmanship? That word in the Greek is poema. It means poem or masterpiece or a work of art. Each of your kids is a unique work of art. And sometimes we don't understand the art that we are looking at, do we? But they are unique. And they are unique because God has a specific purpose that he wants them to fulfill in the world. If we all did the same thing, guess what? A whole lot wouldn't get done in our world. And so God made them different and unique. Some like numbers, some like people, some like to be with themselves, some like to work with their hands. Everyone is different. God has wired us all differently. It's his plan. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. God works through different people in different ways. He works through different people in different ways. The implication of that is as a parent, you cannot treat all your kids the same way. It doesn't work. You may have read a book where the author says, I want you to know, to be fair, you have to treat all your kids the same. There is a word for that in the Greek. It's called stupid. <laughs> because what works for one doesn't work necessarily for the other. What you say to one may encourage them, but the other one, hey, it may take the air out of their balloon. To be intentional in your parenting you must treat your kids differently because, folks, they're all different and God has a different purpose for them. This is the foundation, accepting their uniqueness completely. So one of the tasks, then, of parenting is to help kids recognize their own uniqueness that they are originals, that they're not a carbon copy, not a carbon copy of you or someone else, that they aren't competing with anybody, that they, sh that they are not expected to be like anybody. You see, intentional parenting understands this fundamental principle. And so they never say to their kids, oh, how I wish you were like, and you just fill in the blank. Now, here's the challenge. There are two enemies that are fighting against their uniqueness, against their originality. The, pre the pressure of comparing and the pressure of conforming. The first one is of comparing. The pressure to com compare, folks, is everywhere. In fact, I believe it is worse today than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Why? Because of social media. Social media, honestly, today, is one giant tool of comparison. I take a picture of my dessert and put it on a social media site, and you take a picture of your dessert, which is bigger and better than mine. 
I go on vacation and I take a picture of where we're at and then you take a picture of where you're taking vacation and it is a bigger and better place than mine. Social media is one giant tool for comparing. And we in America, we love to compare, don't we? We compare everything. We compare athletic abilities, academics, appearance, sex, salary, status. We compare IQ tests. To be honest with you, I don't like IQ tests. I I don't, because they're comparative. The truth of the matter is, there are about, as you read, 12 to 18 different types of intelligence. And an IQ test oftentimes just tests one kind of intelligence. And yet there are many kinds of intelligence. There's mechanical intelligence. There's musical intelligence. There is relational intelligence. In fact, businesses will pay more for EQ than they will for IQ. Why? Because work mostly is about relationships. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, take a look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We do not dare to compare ourselves. It is foolish. What? Foolish? Will you circle that word? You and I need to understand this. And you and I need to teach this to our kids. You need to understand that you shouldn't be comparing yourself with anybody else. And you need to teach your kids that they shouldn't be comparing themselves to anybody else. You need to understand that you shouldn't be comparing your spouse with any other spouse. And you need to teach your kids that they shouldn't be comparing when they get married their spouse with any other spouse. You should understand that you shouldn't be comparing your job with anybody else's job. And you need to teach your kids that they shouldn't be comparing their jobs with anybody else's jobs. Tangerines and submarines are not the same thing. They may sound the same, but they are not the same. God says it's foolish. Take a look at Galatians 6.4. Do your own work well, then you will have something to be proud of. But never compare yourself with others. There is a legitimate kind of pride, folks. And that is the pride of doing a job well done based on the best that you could do. But the moment that you say, you know what, I did a better job than them, guess what? Uh Uh-oh, you made a mistake. We live in a culture of comparing where our kids compare everything. And you know what it does? It robs them of their uniqueness. The other thing that we must fight is conforming. There is another word for this or a phrase. It's called people-pleasing. People-pleasing is when you are worried more about what other people think than what God thinks. You know what? I want to look like them. I want to be like them. The Bible says that is a trap. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man is a snare. And what he means by that is the moment that I start thinking more of others than I do of the purpose that God has for me and the way that he has uniquely made me, I am dead in the water. So let me let you in on a little secret. You don't need the approval of others to be happy. 
you are as happy. Who said amen? Say that louder, will you? Amen. Amen. You and I are as happy as we choose to be. And if you're not happy, don't be blaming someone else. And we need to teach that to our kids. If we can teach to our kids that they shouldn't be comparing themselves to others, you know what that's going to do? That's going to bleed over. It's going to help them to not compare or not conform to others. Notice what the Bible says here. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by, change, by changing how you think. What is the world's value system? Sex, salary, status. Let me give you another three. Passion, possession, position. Let me give you another three. Appearance, academics, and athletics. God comes along and he says, I don't want you to be conformed to the values of this world. Rather, I want you to be transformed. I want you to be who I made you to be, who I created you to be. Now, here's the challenge of this. We think that this is just about peer pressure, don't we? Whatever you do, Don't let those other people mold you into someone else. But what we subtly don't realize is that pressure may be coming from us as well. And we have to realize that God wants them to be who God has created them to be. And folks, we need to recognize that. They're unique. And so the first step of laying a foundation, and understand this is just the first one. We got four more. The first step is we gotta accept our kids. How do we do this? How do we know if we are doing this right? By, and that's simple, by recognizing, or I should say it like this, by not insisting and demanding that they be like you. You see, when, when, when we have kids, we want them to be like us. We, we want them to like what we like. We want them to eat what we eat. We want them to, to enjoy the sports that we enjoyed. But we need to remember, they're not us. They're unique. And I want to say this in the most gentle way that I can, so I'm going to personalize it. This world doesn't need another PG. Some of you out there are secretly under your breath. Amen. (laughs) But this world doesn't need another you either. God did not give you children so that you could have a mini-me. Conforming doesn't just come from peers. In fact, oftentimes it comes from parents. I want you to be like me. I want you to like what I like. I want you to eat what I eat. And I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this. Love does not demand its own 
way. If I love my kids, I will not demand my own way. I will not say, you need to be like me. You need to like what I like, enjoy what I like, and eat what I like. No. Instead, I let them be who God created them to be. Now, unfortunately, a lot of kids today get the message, I can't be me. I have to either be what my peers want me to be or my parents want me to be. And when I get married, I have to be what my partner wants me to be. And when I get a job, I've got to be what my professional boss wants me to be. Never once did I ever tell my kids, don't you want to be a pastor? Even though my youngest son, David, became a pastor, he was torn between two professions, being a lawyer and being a pastor. Those kind of go together, I think. <laughs> and after he graduated from college, he says, Dad, I want to be a pastor. And I tried to talk him out of it because I didn't want him to follow in my footsteps. And he hasn't. And honestly, it was one of the biggest struggles of my life when I brought him on staff and then two years later he left because he wanted to go into inner city ministry. So I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. No, we've got to help them be what God has created them to be. So I want you to write this down. Kids are not things that are to be molded. They are people to be unfolded. They are not to be molded, but rather they are people to be unfolded. And when you unfold something, you don't know what's on the inside. But guess what God does? God is the one that made their DNA. Our goal is to help them discover how God made them and who they are and what their purpose is in life. When you have a family that has more than one kid, you got a lot of uniqueness going on in that family, wouldn't you agree? And creates conflict. We would have in our family, we would have B&O, which is boys' night out. We'd have it about once a month. And of course, all my kids, with being unique, had different requests that they wanted. So I created two rules around this. I said, okay, here's the rule. We're, first of all, we're going to rotate. Aaron goes first, he's the oldest, then Matthew, and then David. Sorry, David, but you're the last. God ordained that, so that's the way it goes, okay? And secondly, I said, no complaining. And we enjoyed it. We did it for years. Today, my kids are grown. Today, they call me up, say, Dad, hey, let's have a B&O night. And we do it about once a month. I said, great, but I've got new rules now. And rule number one and the only rule is whoever buys gets to decide what they're going to do. <laughs> they are silent on the phone, okay? <laughs> oh, I tell you, I like that rule. <laughs> The truth is, God sovereignly chose your kids to be a part of your family. He chose their DNA. He chose their dominant genes. He chose their recessive genes. And they are different from yours. And God didn't make a mistake. And the first step of parenting in order to bring out the best in your kids is that you've got to help them or you can't help them until you accept them. The second building block 
It's this, I must affirm their value constantly. During this series, I'm going to be asking you, God, teach me to number my days. Because I want to present a heart of wisdom to you. That I might help bring out the best in my kids. That they might fulfill the very purpose for which you created them. And to do that, you must accept them completely. And you must affirm them constantly. Now this is different from acceptance. It's not just simply saying, hey, you know, I accept you, kid. Folks, it's not enough to accept your kids. You must affirm them. You have to enjoy them. And that can be a challenge at times, right? And we often don't do it enough. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times we reserve it for big occasions, like a birthday party, like a graduation from high school, or now it's graduating from kindergarten and first grade and fifth grade. And, and yet, they need it all the time. I deal with people. You could say I am in the people business. And I have discovered in 40 years of ministry that everybody has a deep bucket within them that needs to be filled with affirmation from others constantly. I believe it. I believe it's limitless. I believe it's boundless. I really don't believe that you can really give them enough, whether it's a kid or a spouse or a, a, a parent or a grandparent or a friend. Everybody has a deep, deep hunger within them to be believed in, to be trusted, to be understood, to be accepted, to be valued. They need somebody who will say, you know what? You are important. Your life matters. You are valuable. And affirming people's value, folks, is different from accepting their uniqueness. And affirming them must be constant. Now why? Why constant? It's because in your child's mind is a scale. It is a scale. And on one side of the scale goes bad stuff. And on the other side of the scale goes good stuff. When they are in the world, what is being put on their scales? The bad stuff. You're not pretty enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not smart enough. All these negative things are put on their scale. And when you get more negative than positive on those scales, what happens and what is created is called circumstantial depression. And a lot of kids are depressed today. A lot of kids take out that depression in the way of anger. They are like a campfire that is out of control. And anyone who gets around them gets burnt. And so what we have to do is we have to put in positive things. And we have to put in positive things all the time. For every negative thing said, research has been done, that 11 positive things have to be said to make up for that negative thing. 
And so we have to be constantly putting in positive things so that their campfire is under control. That when they are with other people, they are welcomed and wanted and those other people feel warm. This is the transformational power of acceptance and affirmation. And the model that the Bible gives us for this is the Father. Take a look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 31. Not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without our heavenly Father knowing it. And you are far more valuable to God. I started uh, a new hobby. My wife came to me um, when we moved into the new house and says, Georgie, you work constantly. And she's absolutely right. I'm always reading um, because leaders are readers. And so you always have to be kind of on that cutting edge of things. So I like to read, but it's all related to work. And she says, George, you need a hobby. I said, okay. So I drove by this place and, and there's a bird shop. And I thought, I'm just going to go in there and check this thing out. So I know nothing about birds other than they poop on my car. And um, so I, I, I went into the place and I got kind of fascinated. So I bought a bird tree. It's a little pole. It's got, I don't know, I, I probably got five or six feeders on it right now. And so birds come and I, I look, I watch them. I'm learning about birds. Well, one day a bird flew in to my window, cracked the window. It fell to the ground. Guess what? God cared for that little bird. That's what that verse says. God cares for his creation. By the way, it got up and flew away. Still pooping on my car. <laughs> God cares for the birds of the air, but he cares more about you. Why are me, we more valuable than the birds of the air? Let me give you three reasons. Write these down and pass these on to your kids. One is because God custom made you. You were not built or made on an assembly line. You are not a prepackaged uh, person, okay? When God made you, he broke the mold. There's not been anyone like you in the past. There's not anyone like you in the present. And there's not anyone like you in the future. You are one of a kind. And that shows your value. Take a look at Psalms 139, verses 13 and then 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Folks, you and I were made by God. And that's why God doesn't want a short circuit. Life in the womb. Through abortion. But you were made by God. It, put up this picture. My, this is from, is it up there? There it is. This is from my five-year-old granddaughter, Isley. We get these constantly. It's a fundraising thing. We buy them all. But if you went to an art gallery and you saw a Rembrandt and a Picasso and my granddaughter Isley's picture, you would know, would you not, that they are not of the same value. My granddaughter's is worth a lot more than Rembrandt. <laughs> or a Picasso. Let's all vote on that right now. My point is whoever 
creates it determines its worth. You can buy a guitar that's made by any person off the street and it isn't going to be worth a whole lot. But if you buy it from Fender, let me tell you, you're going to pay big bucks for that. The fact is, you were made by the king of the universe. And that shows your value. The second reason, write this down, pass this on. The second reason that you are of infinite value is that Jesus died for you. You want to know how valuable you are? Folks, look at the cross. You were worth dying for. Jesus said, God said, hey, I'm willing to send my own son to die on the cross for you so you can be with me in heaven forever. Now look at 1 Peter 1, verse 19. But he paid for you with the precious life blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Now I want you to notice something as I laid this out. Notice first that God made you and then God paid for you. You want to know how much something is worth? It is determined by what a person is willing to pay for it. If you have rare coins, and I know some of you do, you may think it's worth so much. And guess what? You may be right. But you will only know that once you sell it. The person buying it determines the worth of that coin. My son, Aaron, when he was... 12 years old, we were entering into our first campaign of building the little house that our students are in right now. And he had an Eddie Murphy baseball card that was valued at $250 in the baseball card shops. It was really worth, and he tried to sell it one time, he'd get $125 because the guy needed to make a profit, right? But he decided that he was going to sell it. And he said, Dad, if I can sell it for $250, I'm going to give the money to the church. And someone found out about that. And they paid him $500 for that card because of the cause. Of course, he was gloating. See, Dad, I told you it was worth $250 or more. <laughs> Something is worth what a person is willing to pay for it. How much are you worth? Look at the cross. You're worth that much. The third reason why you are infinitely valuable is God's spirit lives in you. Folks, if I had kids, I would be drilling this into them all the time. You can use this for adults as well because a lot of people don't think well of themselves. He indwells you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Haven't you yet learned that your body is home of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit God gave you, and that he lives within you? Your own body does not belong to you. If you were to go out and buy a house from me, you'd pay market price. But if Elvis lived in that, I tell you this, you'd pay more than market price for it. Who lives in you? The Spirit of God lives in your body. So what I am saying is that the Trinity, you're teaching theology when you teach this to your kids. The Trinity shows you your value. The Father created you, the Son died for you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. When your kids say yes to Jesus Christ, and you need to encourage them on that journey, God sets up His Spirit within them. 
Now, how do you affirm this with your kids? Three ways. The first way is through visual attention. In other words, the way you look at your kids will reveal how much you value them. There are looks that wither them. We all know what those looks are. And there are looks that affirm them. Visual attention communicates value. What you pay attention to, you value. What you don't pay attention to, you don't value. And your eyes literally are tools of expressing love. Notice how the Father does this in Matthew 10, verse 30. Your Father in heaven pays great attention to you, down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. Folks, you and I don't even know the number of hairs we have on our head. But God does, and guess what? He knows the original color as well, okay? And he knows how many fell out in the sink this morning. How do you spell love? Attention. Your greatest gifts will not be roses and chocolates and diamonds, though I've never found a woman who said no to those. It's attention. Your attention is the most valuable gift because it involves your time. And your time is precious. It is priceless because you only have a certain amount of it. Once you spend it, guess what? It's gone. So when you give your attention, you are saying, you matter to me. You're valuable. The second way is through physical affection. God does this with us. Take a look at Hosea 11, verse 4. This is a neat verse. God says, I drew them to me with affection and love, and I picked them up and I held them to my cheek. Can you feel the tenderness of how much God loves you in that verse? Do you know that God made you with skin to be touched? You actually need touch to thrive. If you're not touched, guess what? As a baby, you would die, literally. It is called failure to thrive syndrome. Research has shown that babies' brains, if they are not touched, if they are not coddled, that their brains will shrink up and eventually they will die. That is why preemies, when they are put into a, a prenatal natal incubator, that the NICU nurses will touch them and massage them constantly. Your kids need touch and they need a lot of it and especially when they're teenagers. Because if you don't touch them, guess what? Someone else will. I will never forget when Matthew, was a, my middle boy, was middle school, and I took him to school one day, and I hugged him, as I always do, and just kind of gave him a peck on the cheek, a cheek-to-cheek thing. He says, Dad, Dad, don't do that. I says, why is that? He says, my friends are watching. And I said, hold it. I want you to know, every one of those boys and friends of yours out there are dying for their dads to show them affection. And what's interesting is when he opened the doors, his kids were looking in. Wow, Matt, your dad really loves you. That is cool. 
sealed the deal. I learned another principle. Get your friends to affirm what you're trying to teach your kids. They need our touch even as they get older. They need physical affection. They need visual attention. The third way that you show value to people in general is verbal appreciation. Verbal appreciation means telling people how valuable they are. Now, I'm going to get into this because I'm doing a Harvard Review study on the importance of feedback. And this is critical. I talked with the CEO about this this last week. But people need to hear that they are valuable. When I, I sent a birthday card, my mom just had a birthday, April, whatever, mom, sorry. I think it was the 18th or the 19th, okay? Wow, mom, they like you, right? Jeez. Anyway, I'm typically one who just signs my name, you know, happy birthday, mom. And my wife is just meticulous with it. George, you need to write your mom a note. You're absolutely right, I do. So I wrote her a little note, and I called her that day. Say, Mom, did you get my card? She says, yeah, I did. I put it up. That was really sweet of you to say that. I said, Mom, I meant really every word. Then I called her back a week later. And I said, Mom, how's it going? George, I'm still reading that note. When I had young kids, I started writing my kids' notes at key times in their life through a program called Letters from Dad. And I have a whole book full of them. I got them on file and they keep them in a little box. And when I give them to them, I verbally express, I wait for a time when maybe the family or there's a crowd of people and I read them the letter that I wrote to them so that they might hear from my mouth into their ears, you know what, you're valuable to me. And I still do that for my kids today. Take a look at this verse, Isaiah 43, verse four. God says, you are precious to me. I treat you with honor and I love you. Circle the word says. Are you telling your spouse, you're precious to me? Are you telling your kids, you're precious to me? Are you telling your grandparents? Are you telling your parents? I just want you to know, mom, you're precious to me. If you owned a house 10 or 15 years ago, this last month in Collin County, you got a tax bill. And you saw it go up, right? Why? Because of appreciation. Appreciation increases the value of things. Depreciation decreases the value of things. You can either be building someone up or you can be tearing them down. And yet every time I appreciate my wife, my kids, my friends, my grandkids, I'm increasing the value of them to me and to the world that they live in. Now here is a game that you can play with your kids. I do this with my grandkids. And it goes like this. Do you know what grandpa likes about you? And when I first started playing this game, they'd say, no. Everything. Every time my grandkids come over, I tell them, you know what grandpa likes about you? 
everything. Last, they came over two nights ago. David was in town. And they came in the door. Hey, Layla, Isla, Andrew, you know what, you know what Grandpa likes about you? And they look at me. Everything, Grandpa. <laughs> Folks, wouldn't it be cool that every one of our kids would know that we like everything about them. Here's another game. Do you know what you're good at? I play that game because most people don't see in themselves what other people see in them. And we need to play that game. And when you do, you are giving that child permission to be who God created them to be. So as we wrap this up and bring this to a close, I want to say this. Don't miss next week because we're building. But I want to say this. A nation will never be stronger than its community. And a community will never be stronger than its churches. And a church will never be stronger than its families. And that is why we are doing this series Today in America, the reason that we are experiencing the chaos in our culture today is because 40% of families in America in general do not have a dad and a mother in the home. For the very first time in history, a culture is trying to, to, to bring about a, a proper civilization without mom and dad in the home. And it's creating chaos. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. Studies have shown that the number one predictor of a kid making it in the world is the presence of a caring adult that affirms and accepts them. And that can be a parent. And that could be a non-parent. You may not be a parent. That's okay. Kids need you. And if they have a caring parent who affirms their value and, 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 and accepts their uniqueness or a caring adult, folks, they'll make it. And I want to close with this verse. Proverbs 14, verse 26. Reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. What he's saying, what Solomon is saying here, is that the key to becoming a great parent is, be, is by becoming a godly person. Lord, teach me to number my days that I might present before you a heart of wisdom. Loving our kids is challenging. And sometimes they are unlovable. I've been there. And what they need most is a parent who understands that God the Father created them, Jesus died for them, and the Holy Spirit lives in them. Let's do this, church. Let's pray.
Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you for your grace. God, I just think of the journey that I'm still on, raising kids and raising grandkids and all the mistakes that I make and the inattention that I don't give and the words that sometimes come out of my mouth that I'm not proud of. And, and God, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that you're a merciful God, that you show compassion and kindness because you're our heavenly Father and you love us, you made us. And you're still working in us. And God, I pray for our families. I pray for each and every one of us, God. Because we all have family. We didn't pop out of nowhere. God, help us to be godly people. Help us to number our days, God. Because we want to present to you, through our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation, God, we want to have kids and a family that's remarkable, that are like mountains in the desert, that when people look upon our families that they're attracted and there's something dynamic because, God, you have placed us here for a purpose. And, God, we want to realize that and we want to fulfill it in our generation. So, God, we give you this service. In Christ's name we pray, amen.